When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blog Talk Radio. intro i don't know what the hell's going on man everything's all weirded out over here yeah we can't get on youtube so i apologize for the folks that we're going to tune in on the youtube stream but unfortunately um blog talk decided to take off that option for us so we're going to be solely here on blog talk just for for the pat for what for another hour or two and then i'll reload it onto youtube okay no problem um dave how was your week my week was was hot. Um, I think I shedded about 20 pounds, so I'm back to my beach body, oh. believe it or not. Good. Congratulations. I'm able to, yeah, I'll I'm able to walk around without a shirt. beach body on the, on the, <laughs> on the website. Um, in case you want to listen to old episodes, old episodes. I mean, we're only on our fourth episode, but in case you want to listen to old episodes, you can do that at emilytalks.com. Um Today we are being we are going to be joined by Susie Dote and Andre Davis, who are death investigators in uh, Pinal County, which is the county right next to uh, Maricopa, where Phoenix is. I'm very excited about this uh, because Extremely. I had a conversation with Susie yesterday, and her job is very interesting, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys. And I know it's kind of a morbid pursuit. She's like, you know, people don't usually want to talk about this, but um, I did. So here we are. I don't know. I don't know. I know I'm excited about this interview, you know, to interview both of them. But I think my wife is more excited that we're interviewing them because my wife <laughs> is all into that, you know. And um, she was like, yeah. you know, when I was doing my research and writing down certain questions that I want to ask, she's like literally was right behind me. Like, ask that one. That's a question. Ask this question. Do this. And I'm like, Jesus, what, you want to do the interview? <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring her on. Um, all right, we want to bring bring them on the show. I think they're waiting in our in our queue. Yeah, let's bring on Susie and Andre here. Emily talks. Hello. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well, thank you. And Andre, is he with us? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning, Dave and Emily. Good morning, Andre. So, Dave, I don't know if I told you this, but I met Susie. I used to do the boxing update on the Power MMA show um, that was on the radio here in Phoenix. I remember and that. Susie was a big fan. Of, yeah, Susie was a big fan of a couple of the the uh, UFC fighters that were on the show. Where she trained with them and stuff. So I met her that way, and we've been friends for a very long time. 
Wow. Longer, longer than, than I six thought. Years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because at some point in the past, I was stressed out about rape kits being untested. And I messaged her and I said, can somebody that doesn't know, you know, hasn't been trained or hasn't gone to school, can they volunteer to do some part of the rape kit and, you know, help get processes? And she's like, no, you have to actually be able to testify about them and kind of set me straight on it. But that was like six years ago we figured out yesterday. So, hmm. <laughs> um, Andre, why don't you start? Tell us a little about um, yourself and the job and, you know, how you ended up here. Yeah, I, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, to, to take it backwards here by complete accident, never – really intended to go into the field. It just fell on me and uh, it clicked. Um, so by, by training, I was a paramedic and I worked uh, both in San Diego and Las Vegas. Um, to make a long story short, uh, I was a paramedic for about six years. I went to a uh, mass fatality drill in uh, Las Vegas area and I uh, met a guy there who worked for the coroner's office. Kind of told me about what he does and uh, was interested. And, uh, you know, within two weeks, I yeah, I went down to the office, took a tour, and uh, was offered a position. So um, I took it and never looked back. It just, it just, the field kind of clicked for me and, um, you know, humble brag, but I, I felt like I was good at it. So uh, it was a great transition for me. So um, I've worked at three offices now. So I've worked at the Clark County Coroner's Office in uh, Las Vegas, uh, the Travis County uh, Medical Examiner's Office in Austin, and uh, obviously Pinal County uh, here in Arizona. Um, I mean, it, it's a great field. It kind of opens your eyes, keeps you thinking. Um, no two days are the same, so it, 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 it's always interesting going into a different scene. It could be your third or fourth, you know, hanging scene for the for the week, but every scene is different. Everything has its own uh, different things to analyze and, and characteristics to look at there. So um, it's definitely intriguing by all means. All right, Susie, what about you? How did you end up here? How what what got you? interested in the job. And I actually think that was one of the questions that came in from um, one of our online uh, listeners. Well, um, I went to school for, I didn't even know what I wanted to do for a while. And then I I don't remember what classes I was taking at community college that kind of led me into an interest in forensics. And I just started taking a lot of criminal justice type classes, but I didn't know what field, what part of the field I wanted to work in, because there's a lot of different aspects of the forensics field and the legal field and the medical field. And I was just thinking, I was watching TV one day, and this kind of ties into the story that you had for me yesterday. I was watching the news and, you know, there's a story of a jogger that finds a body in a canal. And I was like, how come I'm never finding bodies laying around anywhere? And (laughs) I was like, maybe that's where my interest lies is, is bodies. And so I started looking into the um, medical examiner field, and at the Mar- I worked at the Maricopa office previously. I started there as a volunteer. I just kept sending them letters saying, hey, do you take volunteers? I want to work there. I'm, I have interest in this. How do I get in the field? And they took me on as a volunteer, and 30 days later, they hired me. So, and, I've, and that was in the year 2000, so I've been pretty much doing it almost consistently ever since. Wow. Yeah, don't do the math. Don't do the math. Um, have you have you stumbled on a body since then Susie no I have not but guess what Emily has (laughs) Emily yeah I stumbled on a body I was I was leaving my kids school which was on interestingly 
their school rented space from a big church. And I don't know if you guys saw, like, here in Arizona, um, Trump did a rally here last Tuesday, and it was at a big mega church. That's the the place where my kids went to school. Like, they rented space from that facility. And I was dropping them off one day, and I was trying to find a weird way out, like, so I didn't have to turn left getting out on Cape Creek, which is kind of a scary road. So I drive around to the kind of the back of the church, and there's a a door. car with the door open there and there's a guy laying in the gravel and I thought oh somebody's sleeping something off I'll go check on this guy and my ex-husband said why do you always have to get involved like why don't you just drive on you know but I can't so I get it out of my car and this guy's eyes are open he was definitely he was definitely dead unfortunately so I called 911 and did you whistle at him I, I want to huh? know, how did you determine he was dead? Did you go like, did you whistle at um, him? Or are you like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Yeah, I was just like, hey, are you okay? <laughs> Do you need anything? And, and it was kind of while I was on the phone with 911 that I realized, like, he wasn't, he wasn't no longer with us. And he was, like, laying oh, there, wow. and, and it was really sad. And I was, like, shook, right? Like, this was very kind of traumatic for me, to be honest. And I uh, he, the cop came out and he's talking about American Idol. I'm like, how often are you doing stuff like this? So you're just having this convo about how you got emotional at American Idol. Um, and then the investigators <laughs> came like out. Yeah, right. Um, the investigators came out and said, oh, you know, he died by suicide. He had a note, and his wife had died previously. So this is the point where I think Susie and Andre would come in. So do you guys want to, you know, kind of. Put yourself in walk that situation. Through, yeah, walk us through what you guys would do. Andre can yeah. do that. He's the boss. <laughs> so, I mean, for us, it, it really just kind of starts with that notification of death, right? So, I mean, you're pulling out the road. You find this guy that's unresponsive. Uh, you call 911. Uh, the police show up. Depending upon the circumstances, the detectives show up. Uh, they do their initial scene investigation, then they call our office. Uh, so basically, when we have a call to our office, we, we triage the call to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, so not every death is our case. Uh, we don't accept every death that occurs in the county. Um, but we triage the call, kind of get an idea as far as the circumstances. In this particular case, if we're using, you know, your scenario, uh, we would respond to this case. Uh, pretty much the first thing we do when we get on scene is we uh, will talk to the investigators, talk to the detectives, uh, determine what preliminary information they were able to obtain uh, just based upon their investigation. Um, and from there, our job starts. So essentially our job is to be the, the eyes and ears of the, the forensic pathologist, the person that, that ultimately does the autopsy. Um, so it's not like the movies where, you know, you've got the doctor going out to the scene. I, Susie, I don't know if you can attest to this as well, but as long as I've been doing this, I've had a doc come to the scene with me twice, I believe. Um, but most of the work is, is us as far as being the eyes, the ears, Sometimes the nose and mouth of the doctors uh, that actually do the oh. autopsy. So hmm. uh, we go out and first thing we'll do is we'll take our over- overall photographs of the scene, uh, photo document the scene. Uh, we examine the body looking for any evidence of any kind of external trauma, any evidence of um, you know, drug paraphernalia, uh, whatever it may be that kind of give us a hint as far as you know, what the cause and manner of this individual may be. Um, once we kind of wrap up our investigation on scene, uh, our particular office will bring the decedent back to our office. Uh, we'll basically do some follow-up, be able to order medical records, uh, discuss with family, um, you know, other supplementary, 
source items essentially is what we'll interrogate. Uh, we put that all into a nice little report, and uh, that's what the doctor has to kind of add some context to it uh, once he goes into the autopsy. Um, so when we have put uh, to kind of justify our jobs here, it's, it's one thing for us to put a doc, uh, body in front of our doctors that has, you know, multiple bullet wounds. Our doctor could certainly tell you that he died of gunshot wounds, but the investigators would put context into that. So was this a homicide? Was this a suicide? Was this an accident? That, that's essentially our role in this, in this uh, portion of the investigation. And to clarify, Susie, can you can you clarify what what cases you get? I didn't do that at the beginning here. Um, what what cases come across your desk? For our specific state, it's um, determined by state statute. Our jurisdiction is over any death that is not due to natural causes, but then also a few other things. Um, things like uh, someone dies during surgery. We need to investigate that and make sure that there were no mistakes made. Um, we would handle any deaths that occur in prison or with anyone who's being taken into custody or being held by an officer. Um, that's a public safety matter type of thing. So we even handle, you know, all the natural prisoner deaths just to ensure that if the public ever questions the treatment of prisoners, we are an impartial third party that has looked into that um, on behalf of the public. And then um, work-related incidents, um, when somebody has an, a work-related injury or dies during the course of their job, even if it's natural causes, we want to make sure that something to do with their job didn't cause their death. Um, and then we do handle some natural deaths. Uh, those would be ones where people don't have a primary physician, people that don't like to go to the doctor and they've never been diagnosed with anything. Um, people, we have a lot of winter visitors, so people that come from out of state and they don't have an Arizona physician. They might have a lot of medical problems being treated in Minnesota, but no, no doctor in Arizona to sign off on their death certificate. So we will investigate their death and take jurisdiction over that. So there's a few natural things, but all unnatural deaths are reported to our office and investigated by us. We don't, like he said, we don't always do an autopsy. We don't always even do a full body examination. It might just be a review of medical records, but um, we do take jurisdiction and that makes us responsible for um, creating the death certificate. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. That is, um, I, I got a quick question. Um, what, what, what is the method uh, that you guys start with before you, like, you know, right when you're about to do your investigation, is there a certain method that you have to start with first, or, or is it just case by case? In case by case. In terms of determining our, our caseload, whether or not we're accepting jurisdiction, you mean there? Um, no, I'm just, in anything, you know, when it comes to, like, a prisoner uh, death or a suicide, is there, is it case by case and how you approach uh, approach it, or is there a method that you have to start with in order to get to where you're going in in solving the, uh, the case? No, yeah, no, I agree. With you. I think it's more so case by case. Um, you know, each scene has its own uh, different intricacies, if you will. Uh, so it just really depends upon what's what's being reported to us initially. You know, the the scenario where you know Emily described, you've got the body on the side of the road. Uh, we're going to handle that a little bit differently than we would just say the you know, individual that was in an MVA and transported to the hospital and, and died in the uh, the hospital, MVA being a uh, motor vehicle accident. And, and also sure. there's things that are similar between everything. So, you know, mm -hmm. every hanging death 
is going to have a different scenario. They're going to be hanging in a different way with different type of ligatures. Um, different people may have been involved or not involved. He, they may have already cut them down and done CPR on them. Or, but in all hanging cases, we're going to want measurements. We're going to want descriptions of how people were found, um, whether their feet were touching the ground or not. Things like that are, are consistent for all cases. In all motor vehicle accidents, we always want to know the same sorts of things. Were they the driver, the passenger, restrained, unrestrained, ejected, still in the vehicle? Um, you know, the, and we ask everyone's medical history because someone's medical history could have caused them to have a car accident, and they might not die from car accident injuries like it appears. So there hmm. are some things that are similar among every case. We talk to every family. We ask everyone's medical history. We ask their social history about drinking, smoking, drug use. Um, a lot of those things are the same for every single case. But then every single case is also very different from each other with all the other circumstances involved. How about famous people? Is there a different protocol that you guys have to approach? Oh, good one. Not, not in our everyday reaction to how we approach the scene. Uh, I mean, there may be in terms of you know, media inquiries and whatnot, but um, we approach every death investigation the same. You know, um, the person that's indigent is just getting the same attention to detail in the, the investigation than would, you know, your, your Hollywood starlet that happens to die in Pinal County. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, with the exception of the, the possible media attention there, but we're, you know, we're, we're definitely approaching the, both deaths with the same amount of, uh, same amount of scrutiny, same amount of attention to detail there. So there's never been a case where uh, somebody tells you there's a restriction, don't look into this or don't ask this, you know, but you can go this route. No, um, we have jurisdiction over the body and the death. The police have jurisdiction over the scene um, in terms of if we're in someone's house, um, they may need to get a search warrant or something like that. But our concern is the body, and we do what we need to do to get answers for the family. Um, so if, if there's a certain extended family member that has a reason not to do an autopsy, we don't just not do an autopsy because of that. And we also would find it strange. Like, Why would they not fine. want an autopsy? <laughs> right. So, yeah. So um, we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're getting the answers for the family the best way possible. And sometimes we have to do things. The family may not want an autopsy, but we need to do one. Sometimes they may want an, op- an autopsy and it's not necessary, or they want toxicology testing where it's not necessary. And it's, and it, we have to balance how are we spending tax dollars because we're a government organization. Right. What's the best way to spend the tax dollars to get these families the information that they need, to get the public the information that it needs about infectious diseases like COVID or uh, fentanyl crisis or something like that. Our goal is to get the right answers, and we can't be restricted by um, certain concerns from people for, for whatever personal reasons they may have for that. I, 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 no, I know what you got. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Andre. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I just want to throw in real quick. I mean, I'll piggyback on that just to say that we do take into consideration. I mean, there are some, um, mm-hmm. for example, religious considerations, you know, if, uh, certain folks that are here to uh, Jewish faith or Muslim faith um, are, are against autopsy procedures. And if we can, obviously, we'll try to take those considerations into place. Um, but again, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if the autopsy is warranted, then it's, it's something that we'll do. Um, 
Again, not every case requires an autopsy, and this is my kind of uh, weird analogy, but the way I explain it to people is, you know, if you're doing a home improvement project, you may not always need a hammer. You always may not need a screwdriver, but you can still accomplish your home improvement project. You know, the autopsy is the same way. You know, we can determine cause right. of death sometimes without an autopsy, or sometimes we just need toxicology. But, you know, it's not always necessarily toxicology or an autopsy that we need and together essentially to determine the cause and manner of death for every case. What's the ratio for you guys when you go approach a family and then tell them something, then they get that surprised look like, what, what do you mean my son used to do, uh, you know, does cocaine or smoking marijuana? Has that happened to you guys? Is that often that you end up informing the family of something that they were not aware of? Fairly regularly, I'd say. Absolutely. Susie, I know what your thoughts are, but I'd say fairly regularly. Absolutely. Yeah. There, and there's also some that I think that they know they just don't want to admit it. Um, so they, they kind of just say, no, he, he didn't do this or he didn't do that. But then, you know, we find out from other friends, yeah, he did, you know. So there's, you know, we've had the ones where they say that, oh, he always wore his seatbelt, but then his friends tell us he never wore his seatbelt when he went out with them. So, it, you know, mm. it's, it's a fair balance, actually, of, of things that the, the family is surprised by versus things that we end up surprised by. Um, I've got a question. Um, I know that um, Andre worked in the Las Vegas or Clark County um, Medical Examiner's Office, but not during the mass shooting that was there. Um, Correct. And I want to know, like, drive you guys nuts when you see people calling that a conspiracy or calling COVID a conspiracy. Do you just want to, like, you know, I don't know, like, scream? I mean, does it drive you nuts? Yes. <laughs> It, it, it does to a certain extent. You know, I I think that it drives me nuts to a certain extent, and it, um, it's it's somewhat entertaining to me just to just to try to get in someone's you know mind as far as their logic there, um, right. you know, especially with COVID. It's, it's it's one of those things where you know whether or not you personally know someone that you know died or has been infected or has been personally touched by it, um, it's a real thing. You know, real people are actually dying of this of this uh, this disease. Um, and it's, it's unfortunately kind of part for the course these days that, you know, everybody's an expert and there's a lot of conspiracies out there. So, um, it doesn't make sense to that, but even our in custody deaths, if we're just taking us back, you know, we can, we have folks that die either in prison or in, in the local jail here. Um, you know, and it's, it just seems that, you know, maybe an overdose or something of that nature, but there's increased scrutiny, obviously, because they were in custody. Um, you know, sometimes accusations to cover up some things of that nature there. And a lot of it's just education, explain the process. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's not uncommon, unfortunately, and it, it, it's unsettling how frequently it's coming up, I would say, uh, compared to previous years. Um, but, again, be it COVID, be it, uh, you know, death in prison, it, it's not uncommon for folks to, you know, kind of question or even call conspiracy on whatever it may be that we're, that we're communicating to them as far as cause and manner of death. I think a lot of things um, in the media also, the media also kind of um, gets things stirred up, whether it's social media or people just watching television shows, and they think that that's the way real life is all the time. Uh-huh. And, you know, that they, they think that you can determine the exact moment that someone died when you find them and they haven't been seen for three days. They're expecting us to give them this answer that's just really not possible because they saw it happen on TV. So, um, 
you know, people do get a false idea of how things should be from either media misrepresentation or social media talking with each other about, well, when it happened to me, it was like this, but when it happened to you, it was like this. And, and you know, in, unless you work in the industry, you, you kind of don't really see the intricacies of it. Um, but we try to put out there into the public the, the accuracy of things and how it's not like it is on TV and everything's not like it is on CSI. You're not going to tell me that you guys don't work in the dark with all kinds of flashy, cool, see-through screens and equipment, right? Don't oh, ruin this do. for me. <laughs> well, well oh, good. Yeah, okay. we don't, but I do, I do drive through uh, my scenes in Camaro, so, so that's, that's my <laughs> little choice. Okay. <laughs> we're, not, we're not running around with guns and jumping over the hoods of cars, shooting at suspects and chasing them down. We don't have any interest in that whatsoever. I'm a little disappointed. Oh, damn it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this call is um, over. Yeah, right. Oh, I thought you guys were going to tell us about that. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had on our show, uh, we talked about refugees. And one of our guests told us um, that, Holly was her name, uh, told us that asylum has basically stopped. Like, you can't go to the border and request asylum anymore. Have you seen or do you know, I guess, I don't know if you guys would probably be more Maricopa, but have, do you know if there's been an uptick of, like, border crossing deaths? because of the borders being closed in that way? We, we don't see too many of the border crossing deaths in our jurisdiction just because I think how north we are from the border. Uh, I oh, think okay. that if you were to ask this question of someone who worked at the Pima County office, you would get a, a much more detailed answer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, occasionally we do get folks that um, are suspected to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, but uh, been mules that may have died in the desert. Uh, but, yeah, we don't get too many up our way. Uh, again, I think just mostly because of our, our geographical you know, position, you know, so, so north of the border. Uh, my husband had a question he wanted me to ask you. Um, he wanted to know what's the weirdest thing you found in a body. <laughs> Inside of one? That come to mind. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, well, Andre, but... as a paramedic, may have seen things or heard of things being inside of bodies, but usually by the time of an autopsy, I don't think there's many surprises most of the time. Andre, what you you had a couple you were about to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a surprise, more so than just uh, you know things that make you go, hmm. I would say. Um, <laughs> like, how many well, gerbils is this guy able to fit in here? <laughs> As an example. So I mean, you've got uh, you've got. Your normal thing. So I had a scene uh, in which this was the gentleman that was on a uh, was pulled over for a routine traffic stop. Uh, the officer oh. gets out the car, starts walking towards the car, and as he um, as the officer approaches the vehicle, the vehicle takes off high rate of speed. Uh, they go on a uh, high speed chase for maybe about 15 minutes or so, and then the car just slowly comes to a stop, and uh, the decedent is uh, dead inside the vehicle. Um, but at autopsy, I think that there were, uh, I think, 15 and 17 or so uh, baggies of cocaine that were found oh, in the one of course that was ruptured. Um, so you put the story where, together where, there. Sorry, where was it from? This was in Texas, and this was in his stomach. Yeah. No, I mean, oh, like, wow. where in his body? You said he had 17 <laughs> bags of cocaine where? In his stomach, so he had swallowed them. In his stomach, so he'd swallowed them, yeah. yeah. Right. Um other than that, we found um, 
we've had some pretty bad car accidents where we found, you know, pieces of the, the vehicle inside of the individual, be it oh, uh, you know, pieces bad, of yeah. the dashboard, turn signal, things of that nature there. Um, Every so often we'll have a choking, a choking death where we'll find something in their throat that we didn't expect. Usually the circumstances that are told to us ahead of time that the person collapsed while they were eating – in that case, it's not a surprise when um, we find food in there. But sometimes we just find a person that had food in their throat and no one knew, and no one knew that um, they were choking. Um, maybe they died at home alone and they were collapsed under the kitchen floor, and we we find out during the autopsy that they've got food in their throat. Um, that you know that's not unusual or odd or anything like that, or quite interesting. But you know that's that's the type of thing we typically see. How about prison death? Um, I mean, is it more majority yeah. of contraband that prisoners die from? Is that is that a realistic thing there? No. I, I think most I think most people are surprised. So, um really and truly, so we there are five classifications or manners of death, right? Uh mm-hmm. so you have natural, accident, uh suicide, homicide, and undetermined. Uh, the vast majority of prison deaths, and this is consistent with national statistics, are natural by far. Um, you've got folks that have you know, been in jail for or prison, I should say, for 30, 40, 50 years, and uh, they die of cancer. They die of heart disease. They die of you know, just natural death. Um, you know, that's by far the, the most that we see. Um, I think secondary to that uh, is probably suicide. Uh, and then your 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 overdoses, but again, by far most most prison deaths are natural deaths. Oh wow! Hmm. I feel really bad right now because that question I asked about what was inside the bodies actually that was Dave. I thought I was talking to my husband, but it's talking to Dave about it, and he wanted to know that. <laughs> so I took his question. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh there. yeah, I, I was actually thinking. I was like, damn, Lewis, me and Lewis uh, uh, were on the same page about wanting to ask that question. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's interested in that, but yeah, no, sorry about that, about dude. Great minds think alike, yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. or I'm just my brain doesn't work. Um, <laughs> one of the questions from uh, one of the Twitter users, uh, Betty, she asked, "What is the worst part of the job, and what is the best part of the job?" Hmm. Good question. I'll let you take the uh, the leeway on this question. Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, um, the I think the best part is getting answers to families that don't know what happened. Um, we have, you know, there are some cases where it could be a natural death, but it could be an accidental death, or it could be an accident, but it could be a suicide. And, you know, us putting all the pieces together for them and giving them that answer and that closure. Um, the other thing is I worked a lot at Maricopa with um, unidentified bodies and missing persons. So, finding out identities of people that have been unidentified for years and giving their family that closure that they've been looking for this missing person for, it could be one year, five years, 10 years. They're looking for these people and to finally give them that answer. I enjoy that part of the job the most. Um, The worst part, I'm sure anyone who does our job will tell you is dealing with the child death. Um, And and the, the ones that are, you know, there's, there's the SIDS deaths. Those, you know, they, they happen. They're unfortunate. But we can discern for the family sometimes, did they do anything wrong? You know, maybe they 
gave their, they thought they gave their kid too much medication when they were sick. And we say, no, it wasn't that. It just was SIDS or something like that. Um, but then there's the kids that you see in these scenarios where they were assaulted or um, harmed in some way or they, they got into their, their parents' methamphetamine or something like that. We have to see those, too. So oh, I think man. that's any death investigator's worst part of the job is the children. Has there ever been a case for you guys where you maybe it's too emotional where you guys have to walk away from or maybe pass on? Has there ever been a situation like that? Not for me. Yeah, I've never personally had one. I mean, we we walk into situations, you know, commonly where, I mean, it, it's just a horrible situation. You, you talk about these, these child deaths and whatnot. Um, again, be it a sit death or be it a case where, you know, the child was unfortunately abused. Um, you know, obviously it's emotionally draining. It really is. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're professionals. We're there to, to perform a job, perform an investigation, to get answers for you know, the family. And I think that we're able to do so well. Um, what's great is just I think that, you know, kind of amongst our community of investigators, you know, folks in our office, our families, I think most of us have that support network. Too. If we do have, you know, a scene that's, that's disturbing us or kind of, kind of bothering us, um, you know, we can talk about it. We can kind of, we have that outlet to, to discuss our feelings here. Um, but I've never, you know, I've never had to walk away from a scene and, you know, you kind of get your job done and, um, you know, kind of process the emotions and talk it out with folks afterwards there. You know what the I'm, I'm realizing, guys? Add to that? Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I was just going to no, say go the ahead. only other thing I can add to that is uh, inevitably there's going to be someone you know that dies that may need to come through the medical examiner's office. And at that point, yeah. we would step away. We would not handle a death of one of our friends or family members or sometimes even friends of friends or extended family. We would not, like Andre would never make me come to work if if one of my friends passed away and came to our office. Um, mm. So, you know, those are the times that not only would I not want to, but even if I wanted to be involved in it, he wouldn't let me. Um, so we do have that as well that's always out there as a possibility. It's never personally happened with me, but um, it, it could someday, you know, and I hope, I hope it's not anytime soon. God, that's so tough. Emily, you know what I just realized, Emily, um, having What's these that? interviews is um, I'm not as tough as I thought I was, you know? Uh, I, 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 I love boxing. I love this. I can get in the ring, get punched in the face. I have no problem with that. But I realized I'm a big puss because our first interview with the refugees had me nearly in, you know, bawling with tears. And then here, hearing you guys, that you guys face all this stuff, I'm realizing I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do what you guys do. Um, so thanks for, for letting me know I'm just not that tough of a guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, mean, I definitely like it's um, I, going mm-hmm. back to what you asked about the worst and the best part. So, I mean, obviously our, our job has to do a lot with death. I mean, it's ultimately determining cause and manner of death. But, you know, in addition to providing families with answers, um, we can do a lot for life as well. So, I mean, let's just say in that, right. that child death that we brought up before, uh, we found out this kid, you know, died of a, uh, a rare congenital disease. So now not only are we able to provide the cause and manner of death to the family, but we can say, hey, look, do you have any other kids? Are you planning on having any other kids? Oh, yeah. If yes to either of those, you need to have these kids tested for this particular, you know, disease. You know, it can be treated right. as caught early enough, but, you know, unfortunately for your child, it was, you know, too far. But, you know, if your other children have it, it can be treated, it can be managed. Oh. Um, 
so there's always that that we, we preserve life, and that's that's kind of the, the silver lining in, in all the death, I guess you can say here. Um, we may know. And one more thing to build uh, on that: we report all of our deaths to the Donor Network of Arizona. So there are also additional options for um, improving life by people being able to donate their their skin tissue or bone or heart valves or corneas to people after their death. We get to be a part of that. I just think, I think, you know, the overall of your guys' job is that, like, okay, I could see you look at it as a professional, this job with death. But I think it takes an extra person to be able to speak to the families at one of their most horrible time of their life and not get choked up about it. That's what I'm realizing that I, I probably could do the, the, you know, work with the death part, but informing the families and investigating and, and letting them know or trying to ask questions. I think that's where I would probably like step away and say, yeah, this isn't for me. I couldn't do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's rough. It, what do either of you guys have? What's that? I was, I was just following up. It's not something that comes natural to folks. I mean, you know, conversation, yes, but talking to people when they're at their, their highest moment of grief, it, it's not something that comes natural to a lot of people. Um, you know, most of the times it's just a manage of, you know, uh, monitoring your tone, uh, just being patient. You know, a lot of folks just, you know, they just lost their son, brother, sister, brother, whatever it may be. They're They're just kind of upset at the world. Um, and yeah. sometimes it's, it's just a matter of just hearing them out and just letting them vent for a little while before you can actually kind of get into, you know, the information that we need to obtain. Um, so part investigator, part counselor sometimes really and truly. Yeah. Do you, how do you guys take care of your own mental health? I mean, you know, Susie mentioned yesterday that to do the job, you may already sort of have some kind of emotional detachment in general, like, I guess, how did you word that Susie? I don't remember exactly, but I, oh. I mean, people that do our kind of work, we like what we do. And if you yeah, don't like yeah. it, you can't do it. You, you just can't. So it sounds weird to say we like it, but we do. Um, sure. But, you know, we, we have to have outside hobbies. I mean, but I can pretty much guarantee you all of us, if we got called into work right now, we would be fine with going. We wouldn't mind it at all because we like doing it. And, you know, it's yeah. not – it's not like, you know, the, the, an account that's going to work every day that doesn't want to be there, you know, or a banker or a grocery store clerk that doesn't want to be there dealing with customers. We like dealing with customers, um, yeah. the, the families and, and things like that. So, you know, there, there is a little bit of a detachment, but there's also a, a weird way that we enjoy taking part in this. What's a memorable, what is, what is a, a case? For both of you, this is a question for both of you. What's a case that sort of stuck with you? Um, and I know not necessarily in your current jurisdiction. Um, what's a case that really kind of stuck with you um, more so than than others? You want to answer that, Andre, first? Yeah. Um, I, you know, again, just staying away from the specific case details, but. Um, I had a case a few years ago in which uh, a young child, unfortunately, uh, six years old, drowned uh, in a background in a backyard pool, and it really, at the end of the day, just was just a tragic accident. I mean, they the family had done pretty much everything you're supposed to do. They had a fence, they had um, you know the security in place around the pool, but 
Uh, unfortunately, the child found a way around it. And um, ended up keeping contact with the family, and they uh, actually started their own organization just to uh, promote, you know, pool safety and childhood safety. Um, and I think that's, that's just memorable for me in the fact that they just took this, you know, tragic accident, you know, the loss of their own child, <clears throat> excuse me, and to, you know, find a way to essentially, you know, help the community and, you know, make sure that this doesn't happen to, you know, any other families within the community here. Hmm. When I was working at the, uh, yeah, when I was working at the Maricopa office, we used to have people call all the time saying, you know, oh, my, I haven't seen my sister for three days. Do you have any bodies there? And I would have to review the unidentified people and see if they fit the descriptions. And I kind of got more interested in going through those cases. And um, there was one particular one of this young girl, this young blonde teenage girl. And I said, how can this girl be unidentified and no one who's looking for her? You know what I mean? Like, it's a teenager. There's, there's got to be somebody looking for her. And um, she died in 1999. And uh, it, I, I kind of made it my mission that I was going to identify her. And I identified her in 2008. It took that oh, wow. long to go through all these different processes and putting it out to the public and, and trying to just research everything we could. Um, and it, it took that long, but we eventually did identify her. Oh, wow. How come she was not identified? Like how come nobody, you know, you didn't find her the family right away? Well, she was a minor. So um, one thing that is kind of a discrepancy in the system, I don't know if it still is as much, but it was back then, is minors' fingerprints aren't in the regular national databases with adult fingerprints. So um, she did have a shoplifting arrest in her past, and she was fingerprinted for it, but those fingerprints weren't in any systems. So when we ran the fingerprints of the decedent's body, it never hit on anything. And there is no, there is now, sort of, but there was no, there's no place like the fingerprint database for dental records. You kind of have to know who someone possibly is and then request their dental records from their dentist and then match them to the records from the body. But there's not a, you can't just throw it into a computer and go, hey, search these dental records and see if you find anything that matches because people's dental records don't go into any databases. Um, but now, as a result of all this work toward the unidentified bodies and the missing persons and reuniting them with each other and their families, um, there is a national database now where um, you can put everything about an unidentified body into this database, and the same for the missing person. And it does have algorithms that tell us as investigators, hey, there's these 35 missing people that also match your body in terms of having brown hair and being a female and being between the age of 20 and 50. And, you know, and then it'll say that, you know, if there's dental records in there, it does have the algorithms to match that now, which we never had before. So um, that's, that's very promising. But for um, this specific girl's case, I created the Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office unidentified body website, and I put all the cases on there. I spent a ton of time making sure that I could, and I actually modeled it. I don't know if Andre knows this, but I modeled it on the Clark County Unidentified Body website. And I said, if they can do it, they've already, you know, created the wheel. I do not have to do all that work. I just have to put it all in the system. I don't have hmm. to go through the legal hoops because I know it's legal. It's already being done. Um, and it's, 
and it's for the better good. You know, not everybody wants to turn on their computer and see a picture of a dead body, but people that are looking for their family members are willing to go through seeing those kinds of pictures to find who they're looking for. So I put them all on a website, and um, it just so happened that her brother was looking for her, called our office, asked about it, and we said, hey, go check on the website and see if you find anything that looks consistent with her. And it was the first case he looked at. It was her. So, um, you know, technology changes over time, and we can make a lot of improvements to how we do our job based on the availability of, you know, now with, with all the computer technology and the web, we can put things out there for people around the whole country to see as opposed to just in our own town and on our local news, um, you know, just because someone passed away here, it doesn't mean that their closest family members are here, that they could be missing out of Indiana or Colorado. And how would their family ever know that they were in Arizona if there wasn't this um, web technology now where we could put the information out there to the whole country? Right. Wow. I got a, I actually have two questions for you guys. Um, the first one is with the COVID-19 now around, uh, it's put a lot of things on pause. Does it prolong you guys, uh, your investigation to get into it? Like, do you guys have to wait till that body is cleared uh, of, uh, of COVID-19 before you can get, get close to it and start doing your investigation? I'll let Andre answer that one. <laughs> yeah. So it hasn't changed a whole lot for us. So, um, as Susie mentioned earlier, so the determination of jurisdiction is, is based upon state statute for our office. So the vast majority of COVID cases that occur, uh, at least in Pinal County, have occurred in hospitals. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you have a decision that's in a hospital, they're admitted to the ICU, um, they're diagnosed with COVID, and they have some other underlying health conditions that may be you know, contributing to their, their overall demise, uh, it's not a case that, that we accept. It's a non-jurisdictional case is what we call it. Um, and that's, that's the vast majority of COVID cases that we've experienced so far. Uh, for those cases in which, you know, an individual's uh, display COVID symptoms, you know, they've had the fever, they've had the respiratory distress, uh, they've had the, the loss and sensation of taste and smell, but they were not tested before they died, uh, obviously that's a public health concern, so that is a case that we do uh, investigate. Um, depending upon the circumstances, you know, what we'll do is one or two things. Uh, we will either uh, travel to the scene, obtain uh, the necessary nasal swamps that we need to test for COVID and release the body directly to the funeral home. So, uh, therefore, the body's not coming to our office. Typically, in these cases, we have some other medical history. We're just concerned about whether or not this person had COVID. Uh, okay. And we'll just send those swaps off to the lab and wait for the results. Uh, now, if we do have to bring a body into our, our exam suite to actually perform an exam, I mean, other than, you know, PPE, personal protective equipment precaution, um, you know, there's nothing that will prevent us from, you know, there's no time period. We have to wait 36 hours before they do this exam or something of that nature. Um, but you figure, you know, our exam technicians, our doctors, they're, they're exposed to all sorts of hazards, unfortunately, other than COVID. You know, we have folks that have HIV or Hep C or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and unfortunately, there's those circumstances where those individuals have to be autopsied. So we, we definitely make sure we take the, the precaution to, to save, uh, or should say, to, you know, protect ourselves. Uh, but there is no, um, you know, no standard 
wait time or, or, or kind of I mean, between the death and the time that we do the hmm. exam that we're, we're implementing here. How about, let me, how about when you, when you start your investigation, what is, when do you determine that it's a, that like in the time frame, when do you determine this is a cold case that, you know what, we can't identify this case, this person. Is, is there a, t- a time frame that you guys are given uh, to make that determination or no? No, we this just, um, <laughs> we just, um, we work it as much as we can. And, and once we're, you know, we've exhausted all the, the means to do that, then we will make sure that we save DNA specimens. We get dental odontology consultations to get the dental x-rays on file. Um, we do full body x-rays to ensure that, you know, if this person had a screw in their ankle from a past injury, we have it documented. Um, we, we get all the information we can about the person and then we release, we would release them to be buried. Now that could take two weeks. That could take six months. Most of ours have been in our cooler for years because mm. we're still waiting to, you know, go through all the steps and make sure we've documented everything. But like, like we were saying before, we don't have a lot of those. Most of the time when we have unidentified people come in, we run their prints and we find out who they are pretty quick, or they might have an identification card with them, but they just don't look like that anymore, whether it's due to weight loss or, or an injury from a car accident or um, the, the decomposition that can happen if somebody's outside in the summer for, you know, two weeks they might have an identification card with them, but we need to make sure that it's them. So, you know, sometimes that, that could take just a couple of days. Um, but if, you know, if it means that we have to keep a set of skeletal remains in our cooler for three years while we work to, you know, try all the different things that we can to figure out who they are, then we'll do it. Gotcha. Um, but we can eventually release them to be buried. Once we have everything documented, um, we would release them in, they would get buried in a county indigent burial um, type of setting at, at a, a mortuary to handle that. And then if by some chance they do get identified later, the family has that option that they can either, you know, just leave the person buried there and put a, a headstone there or whatever they would like to do. Or they may decide that they want to bury them closer to where they live in another state, or they may decide that they would rather cremate the person. Um, but they would still have that option because we would be able to return those remains to them and give that person their name back. Um, Andre, what's that? No, go ahead. Ma'am. Andre, uh, do you find working in Pinal County sort of slow compared to um, Clark <laughs> County? But I, w- I would assume in Vegas you have a lot more like tourist deaths and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the experience from having worked in three different offices in three different states, um, you know, each jurisdiction is unique, right? It has its unique, um, you know, geographical environment and unique uh, culture environment that kind of reflects itself in the type of cases that you see, if that makes sense. So um, is, you know, Pinal County slower compared to, say, Clark County, Travis County? Absolutely. Uh, but there are also, you know, certain types of deaths in Pinal County that, you know, I just wouldn't have in, in Travis County or have in Clark County. So that experience to, um, you know, investigate these types of deaths and, and be exposed to something new is is unique to Pinal County. Um, you know, for example, we've, we've got a, we're a pretty rural community. Uh, so we have, um, 
know, some farming accidents that take place. I'm, I'm not going to find that in the city in Las Vegas, you know. Um, we have, uh, unfortunately, we have uh, some skydiving accidents. Same thing. I'm not going to find that in Austin. So, yes, the caseload is a lot uh, slower. Uh, but, again, just the, the type of cases that I, I see are, are diversified, and that, that, to me, just more than makes up for it. Well, I just want to thank you guys both so much for joining us today and telling us your stories and really kind of just breaking down what you do. It's a different type of job and, you know, really incredible job. And I don't know, I'm a little a little overwhelmed. I want to go, like, on a ride-along, but not really because – I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Maybe I'll just chat right, with Susie for, once a week. Thank you for offering a peek into our world and the reality of it as compared to television. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, no, no but you know what, guys? Thank, thank you. I mean, this was great. I have, like, literally maybe 20 more questions, but I know we don't have time here on the podcast. So we definitely got to get you guys back on to uh, – to ask more things, you know, I mean, I, I find your guys' line of work so fascinating. And also at the same time, if it wasn't for you guys, um, a lot of this stuff wouldn't, um, well, I mean, we need people like you guys. Cause I know I wouldn't be able to do it. Like I said, I just found no. out that I don't, I'm a, I'm a certain type of puss. I wouldn't be able to get in there and do that type of work, man. <laughs> so thank you guys. And, and I'm, the type of puss that doesn't, I'm the type of puss that doesn't want to get punched in the face. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Great. Well, thank uh, no. you guys so much. Um, we'll no, we'll you. talk Bye. to you very soon. Sounds thank great. You. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Wow, Dave, that was really interesting. That was awesome. That was really good, you know. And I'm a guy, honestly, you know, if you tuned in to last week's Friday show, uh, Father's Day uh, episode special, um, where Emily surprised me with my youngest son coming on. And if you listen to what my son has said, I, I literally sit and watch these ID shows with my wife, which I hate, okay? I hate watching these shows, Emily, because they're so depressing. And I'm like, how, why, why do you like this stuff? And my wife's like, I'm so fascinated. If I, if I had a choice, this is what I would do. She would probably, she would do what Susie and Andre do. And um, yeah, it's, it's, this was great. I, I really enjoyed this. Good. Um, I think we have our next guest in the oh, queue yeah. of 608. Uh, Coach Larry Lar. Larry Bear. What's going on? This What's going on, Larry? How you been, brother? Uh, I'm living. Larry? I'm living, man. No complaints. Well, a good thing Larry is that we our... got... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, say real quick, Emily. Good thing. We had Susie and Andre on, Larry, so you have no worry, worries about uh, finding out or identifying one of your livers if that ever happens. Um, so that's, yeah. that's a good one of your livers. Larry is, um, you know, Dave and I met, of course, on boxing Twitter and or in boxing, working in boxing. And on Twitter, there's a big group of people that all tweet about boxing, and that's how we met Larry. And Larry's sort of the, the timeline's you know, punching guy, but we love him. He's, he's a great guy. Larry, what are you up to? How's your breakfast? Uh, skip breakfast today. Yesterday was too much on the self-esteem. Um, but I'm feeling good. I had lunch. I'm going to start trying that, I think. See how that goes. How many drinks have you had today? Uh, just, just one. 
No. Oh. But I, I'm just getting out to my garden. So once the gardening starts, that's, uh, you know, it's anybody's guess. Oh, wow. What are you growing? Okay. Oh, God. You don't have time for that. Everything. Anything you can imagine for the most part. Are you preparing for the apocalypse? Is that what's going on, Larry? Uh, I'm prepared, but I'm not preparing. How's that? Hmm. I was preparing when that first wave of COVID came through. Um, Everybody was going for eggs, milk, and water. I wasn't. I was going for beer, Larry. That's what I was doing. I was being smart. I was like, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go buzzing, and I'm going to go feeling good. (laughs) You know, it's funny, a lot of people did freak out, and I don't usually freak out myself. And I stayed calm. I never really panicked, but I, I did buy more booze, and I go, in case I'm wrong, you know. <laughs> Larry, um, on a scale of one to one of Susie and Andre's cases, how hungover are you today? Oh, today wasn't too bad. Yesterday was really bad. I'm helping somebody move. A bunch of stuff out of their house. It's about 95 degrees and 100% humidity. Oh, and wow. it was like 10 a.m. And I was like, you know what? I deserve this. <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? Dave? I think we have a. I think we have a special guest on the line. What yeah. um, special guest is on the line? Go ahead, special guest. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, uh, who is this? Uh, this is Larry's liver. Oh, wow. Larry's liver. liver. Great. Oh, I uh, thought you were busy. Gosh, you're you're one of the busiest people or organs I know. <laughs> what sort of pounding does, does Larry do to you, liver? Uh, well, I mean, I'm jet black. I'm wrinkled and shriveled. <laughs> and I'm the size of a beach ball. So, <laughs> I don't know how you figure it out. Jesus Christ, Larry. Um, but other Larry's than that, things are fine. What's that? Other than that, things are fine. Would you? Um, I don't know. Would you? I don't know if Larry's liver would agree with that. Yeah, right. Larry's liver. How are? How does his breakfast affect you on a daily basis? Because we've seen pictures. He posts pictures and tells everyone to make fun of his breakfast. But I feel like. You probably don't think they're that funny. Well, so imagine detoxing all that alcohol all night. And just as this fat fuck starts to sober up, <laughs> I basically get to run backwards through a cornfield naked. Wow. Oh. Breakfast hits me. <laughs> Is there any jealousy, though, uh, Larry's liver with the breakfast? Uh, because it seems like, you know, the breakfast, uh, you know, um, talk about my breakfast trend really has taken off. Is there a, any type of jealousy there? No, dude, I'm a, I'm a sentient liver with a Twitter account. Come on. What do I care about? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Larry, do you have any questions for your liver? Uh, How about sympathy, yeah, Larry? Uh, yeah. Are we cool, man? <laughs> are you fucking serious? <laughs> Larry's liver, I would have answered, of course we're not, Dick. <laughs> Larry's liver, yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any questions for Larry? Maybe, like, what his plans are this week? What What are we planning for this week? And uh, what can Larry's liver expect? Pain. <laughs> Most likely. What, 
Do you I have mean, any questions for Larry, Larry? No, no. It's the less I know about what he's doing, probably the better. <laughs> Are there any cherished moments with 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 Larry there, Larry's liver? Well, I mean, there is this weird thing that he likes girls to do. He calls it getting centroned, where the girl oh. pretends she's Margarito and lands an uppercut <laughs> right into me. Oh wow! Because that's uh, you know, that's how. My boy likes to finish, which is pretty fucked up. So now I'm all bruised here. I mean, it's hmm, Larry, come on, Larry. Come on, Larry. That's, uh, that's a little extreme there. Hey, Larry's liver, let me Larry. ask you. How about the rest of the organs in there? Do you have any conversations with the rest of the, are they ha- the let me, uh, His other organs, are they happy with Larry, or are they in the same state of what, how, how you feel? Well, the only other one that can talk is Larry's prostate, and he and I are not on speaking terms at this time. Hmm. There was, you know, it's it's just some stuff that you don't want to know. There was uh, oh, no. very disturbing. Uh, the rest of Larry's <laughs> organs are, are just permanently drunk, so they don't really talk. Hmm. I hate speaking to drunk. You know, <laughs> to be fair, though, 0 to 15 was a pretty easy ride for you. Yeah, that is true. And then you discovered that girls will still play with a fat guy's dangle, and the booze is super fun. Oh. So, hmm. Larry, it's been um, horrible ever since. Do you have anything you want to say to your liver? Yeah, hang in there, man. <laughs> Thanks, bud. All right. There you go, Larry's well, thank liver. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Larry and Larry's liver, for calling in. It was good to hear from both of you. I'm no glad problem. you're still hanging in with us, Larry's liver. <laughs> Thanks. Guys. You guys have a good day. Try to recover because Larry's already yeah, working on it. I'm at the garden. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> that was great. Oh, wow. So good. informative. So in- informative. Um, we have this great up. first segment that's like really actually informative, and we have this good discussion, and then we we talk to Larry and Larry's liver. This is something for everyone on Emily Talks. <laughs> exactly. Um, next time, hopefully, we can get his prostate uh, to come on the show and tell us what Larry's been inserting or been throwing out. Oh, that would be oh, great. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, final thoughts for this week, Dave. What do you think? Uh, well, I definitely got a lot of uh, questions answered by Susie and Andre. Thank you again for having them come on, Emily. I thought that was a great, great segment. And, uh, you know, they did mention something about um, that they, you know, customer service, right? But I would have to say half of their customers don't talk to them, you know, in, in terms of them working with Right, right. So when they were saying that, I was like, you know what? I hate customer service. Maybe I need to go in that type of field because I definitely hate speaking to people um, in my line of work. Uh, I, I'm easily annoyed. I need to work on that. So if I don't work on soon, Emily, you're going to see me over there with Andre and Susie. Well, I, I don't think so. I don't think you. Uh, I don't think you're cut out for it, Dave. And I'm not saying That's that the, to be mean, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I know. My wife asked me, um, she'll like throw her fist up in the air, and I flinch. So I know I'm not cut out for that kind of work. Yeah, maybe she should do it, though. That wouldn't be bad. 
Hmm. Um, final thoughts from here in Arizona. There's, um, we're having a very, very tough time with COVID. Um, it's almost like, I, I'm trying not to be like too doom and gloom about it, but I really feel like it's kind of growing exponentially at this point. Like every day, the totals of new infections are, are bad. Most of them are in, you know, people aged 20 to 44 who are less likely to die from it. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still like scary. Like I'm not going out. Everybody's wearing masks finally, even though there's people complaining about it. Um, so all I just want to say is how much I love and appreciate the people in my life. And I really hope that everyone here in Arizona and across the country are staying safe and wearing your masks and staying inside, staying away from the virus. I'm very worried about my older relatives and stuff. And yeah, it's really, my baby mother. it's definitely spiked over here in California. I think we're uh, in the leading uh, race right now. In terms of yeah. uh, cases in California, I actually found out on Thursday, a friend of mine, a, a young kid that's 24 years old um, that works at one of my lots, um, contracted it and uh, his dad mm-hmm. ended up getting it. And so my prayers yeah. are with him and his family right now. Um, I haven't had a chance to speak to him. I did text him, but I'm figuring he's pretty busy because he is in quarantine and his dad is in the hospital. So my prayers are out there. I mean, this is a real thing, folks. It's a real thing. I mean, boxing, look at the fights that have been canceled and uh, being rescheduled after testing. Um, If you don't think this is not real, then these fights wouldn't be getting canceled. Unless you're uh, Baby Miller, who probably be welcoming. I was going to say, unless you're Baby, then... Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I mean, you should have probably gotten COVID instead of what actually ended up happening. Yeah, Maybe he doesn't Miller mind putting any, Yeah, again. he doesn't mind putting everything in his body. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's a CBS a, in his I body. I saw an interview with him, and he's like, he's like, well, you know, I just didn't do my due diligence. It's like after the first time, like, how could you not do your due diligence? Like, I mean, he lost such a huge opportunity to fight against Anthony Joshua, and then than this. It's like really embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing, not just for himself and his team, but it's embarrassing for boxing itself because promoters, commissioners, guys, giving a a guy on a suspension that failed, not just once. Okay. These are five tests that this guy's failed. um, Okay. That, that we have in record now, but I mean, it's shame on you. Yes. This is shame on you. You guys should have known better. Uh, you know, we've been, I mean, here on Leaving the Ring, we've been talking about PDs way before anybody else was talking about it, before it became a trend, where now you see another oh, yeah, podcasters are doing it, you know? Um, so it's shame on the, the organization, the promoters, the commissioners, the ABC uh, sanctions. This, 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 should, this, is a clear, this is a clear way of saying you guys are idiots. Not just Baby Miller. <laughs> Baby Miller is exactly what a, a cheater is going to do. Hey, okay, you caught me once and you slapped me on the wrist. I'm going to try it again and see. Hopefully, I can get around it this other time around. And then if I do get caught, uh, you probably slap me again on the wrist. You know, some folks are calling, calling for a ban. I would like a ban. I just don't believe that's going to happen, Emily. You know what's going to happen? He's probably going to be out for another six months to a year. Um, he's going to come back with a, another long, drawn-out, sad story statement on his Instagram. And boxing, the boxing officials, the boxing guys that make the wheel turn are going to forgive him and say, let's give him another chance. Yeah, He's an entertaining guy, but I don't know, man. There's just, 
you know, right now there's there's so few opportunities to fight. Like if people are messing up, it's just disappointing because it's there's so many guys sitting there at home waiting to get called up to fight. I mean, it's really it's really kind of tough. Um, and I'm, I am mm-hmm. kind of happy that you know we're seeing some closed dark shows or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see people are fighting, but it's it's not the same. You know, you think about you can't see your friends and fans and family before the fight. Like once you go into the bubble, you can't, you know, interact with anybody. It's just a lot of crazy changes. And I'm, I'm trying to like, trying to get used to living in this new reality. And I'm, I, I'm struggling with it. You know, like I wanted to go back the way it was and it's just, I don't think it's ever going to. No, I think it's going to be a long, long time before we get back to the norm. Um, unless everybody starts doing what they're, Know what they're told, and, and that's the I yeah. think that's the problem right now in our country is that you got all these people that are saying uh, I don't wear panties, I'm not wearing a mask because I don't wear panties, and that's for a reason. I want them both to breathe. I'm like, Jesus oh, that lady, that was weird. Okay, that was that was <laughs> awesome. It was weird, but at the yeah. same time, I was awesome because I was like, you know, here we used to have like in Living Color, Matt TV, where they would come up with this outrageous skit of what people would think and probably say <laughs> if they. They weren't filtered. And guess what? We're finally living in bizarre world. We're finally there. Yeah. Emily, you know, we are finally there yeah. where I was literally told by a friend of mine. I don't want to say oh, he's a friend of mine, but a guy, an acquaintance, uh, you know, that that this is the way they control us, bro. Dude, Dave, Dave, this is the way they control us by making us wear a mask. And I'm like, Fuck, hey, really? This is what you think? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a weird time right now. I listen to a lot of podcasts that are like about conspiracy theorists, like the QAnon mm-hmm. Anonymous podcast. That one of my favorites that talks about really? the phenomenon talks about. They're on the side of like us, like we're like this is stupid, but they they actually dig into how this gets out there, and it's really it's really on the social media platforms that it's radicalizing people, and that it's doing it quickly. They were they were talking about this lady that was a I think she's like a new age type of person and she went from like you know I discovered QAnon to doing something crazy I don't remember what it was in like like doing something illegal and crazy in like five days like it's it's people are home right now they're scared and they're just looking for reasons you know to feel some kind of control and I think that's where this this comes from I think social media itself has released the beast though that's within everyone it's uh, it's made people be more radical um mm-hmm. you know you what happens to a lot of folks and i see this a lot uh, if you follow me on facebook i'll put like get off your freaking phones people stop reading into these um conspiracies and and really find the time that you probably are missing with your family because i know yeah. this that once you consume yourself with all this stuff that's being just thrown out and it's like one after another Eventually, after sitting in front of your phone or your computer for you know four to five six hours, Emily, you're going to start believing what you're reading and what what these other. I mean, you become. And I find this very true that you there's a lot of people that are sick and they're looking for like-minded folks, and that's how they're falling into this because it, it it's justifying what they've always felt in their heart, and it's it's sad. It's kind of terrible, you know. Um, and it's mostly, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here. Can somebody get me these statistics? But to me, 
it's mostly very religious folks that are falling into this trap of conspiracies, which is kind of weird and scary. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, again, I think people are looking looking for answers. Why is this happening? Why? Whose fault is it? And And that's not, you know, you're not going to, you're going to find, you got to kind of accept where we're at, I think. But well, then they would say, back... Emily, you're a sheep. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, but but it also goes back to religion. I mean, if you're a religious person and you're asking these questions, what happened to God has a plan? And if the plan is that, that the COVID-19, it's making people kind of readjust their lives and you have to wear a mask for the time being, then follow the plan. You know, why is everything got to be man-made or, or I, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a follower of religion. If people don't know that. Um, if you know me personally, I'm not a religious person, but I believe in God. Okay. I believe in the word and, mm-hmm. and I believe in what he says. I don't believe that you got to go to church and, and have this beautiful cathedral where you could sit and pray. I, I believe that if you have a relationship with your maker, you can do it anywhere. What is, why, do you, why do you need this beautiful cathedral to go and, um, and, and go and pray? And then why are you only yeah. picking and choosing what he's saying and then using other stuff to kind of fit your agenda of conspiracy? It just, it's really weird. I think it's a pretty touchy subject, and I know yeah, I'm going to offend I, a lot of folks, but it is. Yeah, what it is. I don't – I think maybe the, the ones that we see in this in the, through this lens, like – the, the people, the people, religious people, spiritual people that don't don't believe the conspiracy and stuff are probably the majority of them. But we kind of see the the crossover. But um, I don't know. I I think religion is good for some people. I I you know I'm kind of I wonder if um I've struggled with I wonder, the last few years myself. I wonder if Larry's liver is wearing a mask. I mean. And ain't gonna help him much, so. whatever Larry's consuming, but I'm I hope hoping he that he does something. <laughs> All right, Dave. Um, well thank you. Thank you, Susie and Andre, for coming on the show. Um, so interesting. And thank you, Larry and Larry's liver. Um and thank you, Dave. Yeah, I what do we got together for next week? next week? Yeah, what do we have? We have for next, next week, week. JR Cardenas and Alexis Zazueta. JR is a TV personality. Um, and Alexis is a pro boxer and he also owns an HVAC company. And, um, since we're close to the 4th of July, we're going to be talking about the American dream. They're both immigrants. Um, and we're going to talk about their experiences and, and, you know, the, like, especially the Alexis sort of, um, the DACA, you know, flex fluctuation of DACA, like you never know Hmm. if it's ever going to like be final and he's here owning a business and having a wife and having children. And, you know, it's, it's a stressful thing. So we're going to talk about the American dream with those guys next week. I'm looking forward to it. uh, Well, there you go. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dave. And thank you everybody who's listening. Um, Feel free to go back and listen to our previous shows at emilytalks.com. And we are on the leave it in the ring radio network. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.